Actually, I have a few announcements that I'll give while the offering is being taken this morning. First of all, there are flowers that are sitting here in front of me this morning. Uh, these flowers were uh, given in memory of Pastor Wiggins' sister, uh, who passed away this uh, past week, and the funeral was on Thursday. And uh, we just want to continue to pray uh, for that family as we encourage them and we allow the Holy Spirit to actually have his way in them. So um, also have a couple of things that are taking place in the coming weeks. Uh, one is on January 22nd, we have uh, the university singers from Southern Wesleyan University. They will be with us in this service, and we would love to have as many of you guys come as possible to be able to hear them. Uh, very talented group. They do a great job, and uh, we would love to have as many of you here as possible. The very next Sunday on the 29th, um, I have my district superintendent coming. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know that, hopefully this doesn't matter. Um, this is the year that you guys are supposed to vote on the pastor. Um, that being said, I think he's probably going to instruct you on some of that stuff as well. Uh, but that'll be on January the 29th, and we would love to have as many of you come. Uh, if you guys come, it makes me look good when my boss shows up. So if you can, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, Happy New Year to everyone that is here. What a great way to celebrate the new year by worshiping the Lord with others who also love the Lord. As we begin this new year, we want to continue to pray that God uh, would do even greater things than what he has done, that this would be probably the best year that we've ever had. Uh, some will look back upon the last year, and you just want to sort of keep riding the wave of God's blessing. Things have been so good, you don't even want to pause. You don't want to slow down. You want God to just continue to bless in the same way that he did this past year. Some of you are looking and you're thinking, I need a, I need a reset button. I need a place where I can just kind of start over. Well, I truly wish that I could tell you what to expect this coming year. But the reality is nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Nobody knows. Perhaps the Lord will come back tomorrow. Maybe he'll even come back today. Uh, maybe this next year will be the most prosperous year you've ever had, but maybe it won't. Maybe you'll have great health. Maybe you'll have uh, physical struggles that nobody ever saw coming in 2016. But what I do know is that God's faithfulness will still be present in 2017 and that he still desires to do a mighty work in each of us. The theme for Trinity in 2017 will be all things new. That's because we believe that God still desires to make all things new. He desires to make you new. He desires to make me new. He desires to make our circumstances new. Everything God desires to work in it and to change who we are. Um, there are two key verses that you will hear often during this next year as we work through uh, this, uh, this theme. The first is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The second verse comes from Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, as we read, he who was seated on the throne said, I am, behold, I am making everything new. As we look to see God making all things new, we must begin by allowing God to make us new. 
the truth is that today's message is not really geared toward those who are outside of the body of Christ. Instead, as we begin this new year, I believe that we need to begin within. We need to look upon ourselves and allow God to examine our hearts and to identify perhaps maybe we need to be made new. Maybe we began a relationship with God at some point or another and things seemed really good. But somewhere along the way, we lost that passion, that hunger, that fire that burned right within us. It faded. And maybe today, God needs to make us new. We're going to be using a passage, uh, actually over the next month or so, we're going to be working through the book of Jonah. And today we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. You can go ahead and already turn there. Uh, As you turn there, um, let me introduce the message to you in this way. Jay Leno, you guys remember Jay Leno? He used to uh, do, I guess it was the Tonight Show. Uh, He used to do a man on the street interview segment. And one night he collared some young people to ask them questions about the Bible. Uh, Jay Leno turned to a young man and he asked, who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? The confident answer was Pinocchio. Unfortunately, some in the church are almost as clueless about the book of Jonah. We almost look at it. In fact, I had a Uh, a minister from a different denomination explained to me that the book of Jonah is nothing more than a fictitious story. It's something just to encourage people to obey God. And there is certainly an element of God desires our obedience. But here's the thing, as we look through this, we have to understand that our God is more than able to prepare a fish to swallow Jonah up. And God is more than able to do all the things that he talks about in the book of Jonah. Uh, When we open the book of Jonah, we must ask, as one preacher said, is this a tale of a whale or a whale of a tale? Some in our enlightened day think that the story of a fish swallowing a man is simply too amazing to believe. They obviously don't know history because the truth is there have even been other occasions where such things have happened. The following documented account is just one of several Jonah-like incidents. I'm going to read it to you. In February of 1891, the Star of the East was whale hunting off the Falkland Islands in the South Atlantic. While pursuing a large sperm whale, one of the two boats was capsized by the Leviathan. The hunters went on to kill the whale, but feared two of their men had drowned. James Bartley was one of the missing fishermen. The crew mourned their loss, but also had a tremendous task of preparing this giant sea monster. They worked until midnight, removing blubber from the 80-foot-long, 80-ton fish. The next morning, they hoisted the whale's stomach on deck. To their surprise, they saw faint movement. M. de Parville, science editor of the Journal de Debats, investigated the incident. He verified that James Bartley was indeed the reason for the movement. When the stomach was cut open, Bartley was found unconscious. He was bathed in seawater and placed in the captain's quarters for two weeks. He was confused and mentally disturbed, yet in four weeks he had fully recovered and was able to recount his experience. 
For the rest of his life, he carried the scars of a bleached white face, neck and hands from the whale's gastric acid. That is a true story from 1891. Yet we often look at a story like Jonah and the whale and say, well, that's not possible. Yes, it is. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for him. While we have good reason to believe this story, there is a second miracle in this book that adds to its credibility. And it's going to be the fact that Jonah, prophet of God, honestly reveals his personal failures. What are we talking about here? This is a man who chose to be disobedient to God. I don't know about you, but if you're writing a book that other people are going to be reading about, where it's talking about you for thousands of years afterwards, wouldn't you rather paint yourself as the good one? The one who was obedient and honest and making the right moral choices? Well, Jonah is honest enough to recognize that he had been disobedient to God. We're going to begin in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Those that desire to see God move in the church must grasp the truth of Jonah. I'm not just talking about the fact that Jonah had a mission that he had to accomplish. But Jonah recognizes in this moment that the reason for the problem in his life at that time was the fact that he himself had been disobedient. By the way, the image here that is given is the moment calamity comes upon them, the moment there is a problem, they recognize there's probably something that someone has done. They immediately begin to call out to their various gods, and we don't know how many gods they cried out to. Each of the sailors that were present had already begun to pray and to, uh, in many ways, offer sacrifices to their God. They were pleading for their gods to help, but 
You know, none of those other gods could do anything about it. Maybe in, I don't know, maybe some of them began to look at their own lives to be able to say, what is it that I have done? Is it me? Am I the one who is causing this problem? Finally, they realized that Jonah is not on board. He's not up top on the deck where everybody else is. So they go down and wake him up. Jonah, what are you doing? You need to pray to your God. Ask him and maybe he will deliver us. We're trying to figure out what's going on. They cast lots to figure out whose fault is this. Now, when a storm comes up, do you think this must be someone's fault? Do you look at the person beside you and say, Debbie, I can't believe you've been so immoral. They immediately, not you, Debbie, I was just figuratively. They immediately begin to look upon each other because they know that there must be a moral reason for this. Jonah does not try to blame someone else. He immediately recognizes this is my fault. It's because I have been disobedient. It's because I have run from the Lord. We need to be able to do something very similar to what Jonah did there. To admit that at times we have fallen short of God's expectations. We will never see the moving of God collectively until we reach a point where individually we are able to come and say, God, I am fully yours and I confess my failures. I need you to make things right in me. In our information-based society, we have fixated on certain indicators, weather indicators, economic indicators, political indicators. Even our cars have indicator lights. It was the same in Jesus' day. In fact, he chided them for understanding the weather, weather better than the spiritual conditions of their day. As we prepare for revival, and that hopefully is the desire for every one of us this year, we need to examine our spiritual condition so that we can look and see, God, is my heart right with you? And a close look at a backslidden preacher named Jonah might reveal some things that we need to address in our own lives as well. What are some indicators that ought to tell us we need to return to God? I want to give you a few of them today. I know I don't have specific notes in the bulletin where you're filling in blanks, but it would be beneficial if you wanted to at least write down a few of these. The first one is seen in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We ignore God's word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. As the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he immediately heard the word, understood the word, but chose to disobey the word. God gave him very specific instructions. This is what I want you to do. But he heard the word and he ignored the word. I understand God speaks to us in many different ways. Sometimes God speaks to us through reading. And one of the greatest gifts we have is God's word. To be able to to read God's word, to be able to understand his heart, to be able to see the things that he has for us, to see the things that he has done for us, to know his plans and his expectations for us. God's word reveals an awful lot about him and his desire for us. Sometimes God's word doesn't just come through the scriptures. Sometimes it may come through a sermon. Maybe it comes through a circumstance. I will tell you there have been times where I've just felt clearly that God was speaking to me. And it was my responsibility to either ignore God's word or to obey God's word. 
what we see here is Jonah has reached a point where in his life, and by the way, he's probably, uh, you think about it, he is one of the most well-respected men among all of the Israelites. He is a prophet of God, and people would have known this is a man of God. And he probably thought he, everything was good. But when God spoke, God told him what he didn't want to hear. And immediately he chose to ignore God's word. Ultimately, we ignore the word that speaks to our hearts for two reasons. One is we don't like what God says or what he commands. Imagine how Jonah felt when he heard the Spirit say, you go to Nineveh. He didn't like it at all. Concerning the Bible, someone wisely observed, sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. Sometimes we want the word of God simply because our hearts are right with God. Sometimes we don't want the word of God because we have sin in our lives and it might make us a little bit uncomfortable. It might tell us that we can't do some of the things we want to do. When Christians drift from God, they typically begin by getting out of God's word. Uh, you guys know that I've done a lot with addiction recovery ministries. And primarily what we have done is worked with those uh, who were open to a Christian rehabilitation process. Uh, one of the primary things that people are taught in this is they must depend on God's word as their strength. Uh, it was David who basically said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And, and that is the, the goal in recovery is basically to change their heart so that they are fixed on the word of God as their strength as opposed to on their desire for all of these other things. What we have commonly seen is each individual who has gone back to their addictive lifestyle will ask them afterwards, um, where do you think you began to stumble? And almost every single time their response is, I stopped reading my Bible on a daily basis. My devotional life stopped being what it needed to be. I got too busy and I stopped spending time in God's word. And I don't know if that's really what causes them to go back into addiction or if it kind of, maybe that just kind of started and then this cyclical effect begins to take place where the less time they spend in God's word, the easier it is for them to go back to their addictive lifestyle, which makes them not want to spend any more time in God's word. And they continue a downward spiral. The problem, though, is it began by not spending time in God's word. We don't like what God's word says or it commands us at times. The other reason why sometimes we choose to disobey or to ignore God's word is we simply don't love God's word as we should. God's word is truly a love letter to us. And when we love God, we will want to hear from him. It's a privilege to think that every morning when I read my Bible, God desires to speak with me. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is making me the priority this morning. He is speaking to my heart. Charles Schultz consistently provided helpful and humorous insights through his Peanuts comic strip. In one run, he showed Charlie Brown's sister, Sally, struggling with her memory verse for Sunday. She was lost in her thoughts, trying to figure it out when she recalled. Maybe it was something from the book of reevaluation. Obviously, it was supposed to be revelation. 
She never did find her memory verse, but she sure gave us something to remember when it comes to studying the Bible. We should always read it with the intent of reevaluating our attitudes and our actions to make sure that they genuinely square up with God's word. It's not enough to read the Bible and be able to quote various passages of scripture. How do those scriptures apply with the way you're living your life now? Is your attitude one that would honor the word of God that's being presented to you? The words that come from your mouth, do they reflect the word of God being poured into you? If they don't, what good was that word? That word ought to impact everything about who we are. Ignoring God's word is an indicator that you need to return to God. So here's how I'll challenge you. How much time have you spent in God's word this week? I know it's, it's not a normal time for us. It's the holidays. It's busy. We've got all kinds of things going on. Is God's word a priority in your life? Maybe for you, you need to challenge yourself so that this year you're going to make it tangible. You're going to read through the Bible in a year. Start with today. Just read one single chapter. Actually, if you're going to read through the Bible in a year, you might have to read two. The point is this. You have to begin somewhere. And to be able to say, well, God's word is important to me, but then never get a plan in place so that you actually begin to allow God's word to take root in your life. That's kind of futile. It doesn't work. So I challenge you today, begin by allowing God's word to take its rightful place in your life. A second indicator is often we harbor hidden sins, and I'm going to say from our past, but maybe they're also in our present. In Jonah's case, Jonah was a prophet of God. Everyone would expect that this was the kind of leader that everyone would want to be like. The problem is that Jonah is harboring a hidden sin. His sin is racism. He doesn't want anything to do with the people of Nineveh because they're not Jewish. They're not Israelites. Now, the truth is, the people of Nineveh were very bad people. At times, they would do things that, actually, uh, my, I was uh, with my daughter recently. We were watching a video, and it's a children's video. Uh, it's called Veggie Tales. It's the, uh, the whale of a tale, the story of Jonah. And uh, anyways, in it, it talks about the people of Nineveh being bad people who would constantly slap people with fishes. Um, now, that is a kid's way of looking at what was actually taking place. But the truth is, they were horrible individuals. Um, these were individuals who, uh, they were inhumane. They basically, these were the Assyrians. The Assyrians had a strict take-no-prisoner policy. They would pull out the tongues of their captives and then skin them alive. As they left a conquered city, they piled the skulls of their victims outside the ruins. They were not a good kind of people. You could kind of understand why Jonah and probably most of the other Israelites wanted nothing to do with them. Imagine you have grown up knowing that God called you to be a prophet of God and you have this message that's going to be for the people of Israel and they are going to respond and God gives you the message, but he says, I don't want you to go to Israel. I want you to go to Nineveh. Immediately, Jonah has to face this hidden sin that was present in his life. You see, he loved the people of Israel, 
But the people of Nineveh, he didn't want anything to do with them. Many times we allow various sins to lay in the background of our lives. On the outside, we look like everything's good. Maybe we come to church on a Sunday morning and everyone else looks at us and they think, wow, that's what it means to be a man of God. I want to be just like him. I want to be just like her. And there's a sense of almost self-righteousness that can build up within us. But if other people knew the things that went on in our minds, the things that went on in our homes, the words that come out of our mouths when we're driving down the road and someone cuts you off in traffic, if other people knew all of these other things about us, well, they probably wouldn't want to be much like us. The truth is, if we are allowing other sins to hide within us, as Jonah clearly was, we have the need to return to God. Because the truth is, God doesn't desire for those hidden sins to have a place in our lives. God desires that we be set free from sin. Paul asked the question, you've heard me say this over and over again, shall I continue in sin so that grace might abound even more? And he answers the question for them, no way, absolutely not. Say, well, my sins aren't that big a deal. The wages of sin is death. That's not just some sins. It's not just the big sins. That's all sin. Jonah was supposedly a man of God, yet here he was harboring hidden sins that would keep him from accomplishing the work that God had to do in him. I wonder what God could do through you if you truly released those hidden sins back to him and you allowed him to transform your life completely. I believe that God could change the world through a church that was willing to do just that. If you harbor a hidden sin, this indicates that you probably need to return to God. A third indicator is often as we are called to do God's work, we neglect our evangelistic responsibility or our evangelistic opportunity. God told Jonah to go preach against Nineveh. And that's an interesting thing. Uh, to preach against them, he should have jumped at that. You think about it. Yeah, I'll preach against you. I'll tell you how bad a people you are. But Jonah knew that God was a gracious God. And he knew that if he preached against them, there was the possibility they might actually repent. And if they did, he is a gracious God. You would think that Jonah was excited to hear that I get to tell them how bad they are. But, oh, wait a minute. If they repent, they're going to be forgiven. Here he is. He has the opportunity to bring hope to a people but he doesn't want to do it. Have you ever thought about what God's chosen people, the Israelites, were chosen to do? They were chosen to take the knowledge of God to the nations. When God called Abraham to become the father of his people, the Lord told the patriarch, out of your seed will the nations be blessed. God entrusted evangelism to his people to bring the good news. And now, by the way, we're in the New Testament. We still have that same call. 
we call it the Great Commission. It's recorded in Matthew 28 where God calls us all to go and to preach the gospel, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have that call that's been placed on every single one of us today. But are we sharing our faith with other people? Or is that faith simply something that we keep to ourselves? I understand sometimes people don't respond as well when we do share our faith with them. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to make anyone mad. We want to be politically correct. We, we want to make sure that people still like us afterwards. I'll tell you the truth. Some of you guys probably aren't going to like me at some point or another. Some of you are thinking, today. Um, but I want you to know not necessarily what is most important to me, but what's most important to God. God has a heart for you, and he loves you. And if I make you mad by the way I tell you that, I do apologize for making you mad, but not for telling you the truth. We have a privilege to bring God's good news to the people around us. And if, if we are at that point where we are not willing to do that, there's a good possibility that we need to return to God so that he becomes the driving force for us again. Indicator number four is this. We decide to deliberately disobey God. Now, this is uh, uh, an obvious one here. It actually says uh, the word that is used in Jonah chapter one is however. However. Uh, However, is not a good word typically in Scripture. Um, I like the seven letters to the seven churches that are recorded in the book of Revelation. They typically begin with a complimentary, hey, these are the things that you're doing. These are the things that you're good at. And in the uh, book of Revelation, the word is nevertheless. Nobody wants to hear nevertheless because that means you've been doing really well, but this is the problem. However, is a problem because... Jonah has just been instructed, I want you to go. However, Jonah disobeyed. Jonah instead made a choice to willfully disobey the instruction God had given him. Disobedience is a gentle word for rebellion. For some reason, we have come to believe that God is willing to bargain with us over his commands. He tells us to do something, and we, we kind of almost look at it, well, God, I'll do that, but Lord, if I do that, then I need you to do this. Or we'll say, well, God, I don't know if I really want to do that, but I would be willing to do this instead. And it's as if there is a bargaining that is going to take place between us and God. The problem is that as God instructs us, his way is best. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. So who do we think we are to think that somehow we'll be able to negotiate with God? He willingly, intentionally disobeyed God and his speaking to him. I would suggest that probably many of us have been in that position. Maybe not at a position where we're called to go to Nineveh, but at times we have disobeyed God's leading. When that happens, it can be difficult to admit that we have fallen short of God's expectation. 
Part of it is because we do give this impression to the world around us that we are holy, we are righteous. you know how hard it must have been for Jonah to admit to those other guys on the ship? Yeah, you know what? I'm the reason for this problem. You see, but all of us have committed an act of disobedience and rebellion toward God at one point or another. And when that happens, we are desperately at a point where we need to return to him. You say, well, it's not that I'm not a Christian anymore. Understand this. God does not desire for his people to walk in disobedience to him. This is not an issue of whether or not, it's not my job to tell you whether or not you're a Christian. I'm telling you, you need to return to God. If you are walking in disobedience to him, you are displeasing him in the way you live your life. And it is time to return to God. I have one last indicator that I'll share with you. This is very simple. We return, we need to return to God when we recognize that we have run from his calling. And the reason I want to share this one with you last is because we look forward to this year. And I got to tell you, man, I'm really excited about this year. There's a lot of great things that lie in front of us. There are some great things that God is going to do. Even looking back over this past year, it's been a great year, but imagine what God could do through us. But in order for that to happen, we're going to have to be obedient to his calling. Jonah got up to flee from the Lord. Those words are even more stark when we remember that Jonah was a prophet of God. I want you to notice three important phrases here in Jonah's fleeing. First of all, the reason he got up was to flee. There was irresponsibility in running from God. When it comes to our calling, Christians can find himself or herself in one of three situations. One, they never started. Two, they started, but they quit. Basically, all of us have made excuses for that. Or they're going strong in their service for him. But consider how irresponsible it is for you and I to personally run from our God-given assignment. Besides that, think of the eternal consequences for those God intends for you to minister to. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything, but I want you to consider for a moment. God has placed you around various people in your daily life for a reason. Maybe it was so that you could bring them the hope that nobody else has ever brought them. You say, well, they live in America. They've probably heard of Jesus. Yeah, maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. But the truth is, God has placed you in their life for a reason. Will you fulfill the purpose that he gave you. The second thing that we see here is not only did he go to get up to flee, but to flee to Tarshish. There's great insanity, by the way, in running from God. And that's what we see here. Jonah was very intentional in his journey toward Tarshish. Methods of travel were very limited during his time. You either walked, you rode uh, basically uh, on the back of an animal or You were carried by sea. You didn't have airplanes and all of that stuff. But even within those methods, there were obvious limits. For example, if you traveled to your destination and uh, basically you were going to a place that was in the middle of a very large landmass, traveling by sea probably was not the best way to do it. Well, Nineveh was in the middle of a very large landmass. As Jonah is given instruction to go to Nineveh, Jonah says, 
I think I want to go somewhere else. So he gets on a boat that cannot take him to Nineveh. Jonah was very intentional with it. He thought, surely if I were to go to Tarshish, I won't have to go to Nineveh. And you think about it, it was probably at least a week, maybe two weeks journey, even if he'd have got on a camel and began his journey immediately, maybe even a little bit longer. If I can get to Tarshish, which by the way, Tarshish would have been several days further out, probably even weeks out. So if I can make it to Tarshish, well, by the time I got, I could use another excuse. Well, God, I'd go to Nineveh, but by now it would just take too long. I don't think it would do any good at this point. There's an opportunity to justify his disobedience. He was very intentional to try to go as far away from Nineveh as physically possible. What is your Tarshish? Where is the place that you have gone that is opposite of God's will for your life. I'm not talking just about a physical place at this point, but you know that God had an expectation upon you and you were supposed to be going over here, yet you went over here. Maybe it was entering into a relationship that you shouldn't have been in. You knew that this is what God had for you. It's what God expected of you. You made a covenant between you and your spouse, and you were going to be faithful to that covenant. But for whatever reason, you went to Tarshish, and you ended up so far away from what God desired for you that you've made a real mess of your life. Here's the thing. You're not the first one to do that. But I will tell you that God desires you not just to return to that original plan, but to return to the planner, to return to God. Every one of us at some point or another has fallen short of what God desired for us. But there is a way to return. If you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will find him. My prayer for you is that this year, beginning now, January 1st, is a time when everybody else makes resolutions. Don't just make a resolution. You make a decision today that 2017 will be a year that you will walk closer to the Lord than you ever have before. Maybe it's by spending time in God's word, getting to love God's word, walking in obedience to God's word again. Maybe it's you're going to be able to share your faith with others and give them the same hope and purpose, the same peace that only God could grant to them. Maybe it's you're no longer going to walk on that foolish path where you know God has something much better for you if only you would do it his way. I want to challenge you as a church to allow this year to be the year that you experience more of Christ than you ever have before. You don't have to make it all the way to Tarshish before you realize that your life would be much better off if you just went to Nineveh. Walk an obedient lifestyle and allow God to have his way in you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, we recognize that there have been times in all of our lives that we have walked in disobedience. There have been times where we have allowed the sin of our past, maybe even in our present, to keep us from accomplishing your will. 
And because of that, Lord, we have gotten in the way of the things that you would have for us. Lord, I pray right now that, first of all, I pray that you would forgive us where we have fallen short. Lord, I pray that you would take our confession of failure. And I pray that you would instill within us a hunger for you. Would help us to repent, not just to confess we did wrong, but to turn and to choose to walk in a different direction, to return to you. But I pray that you'd give us a hunger and a passion for your word, to know you better than we ever have before, to walk in obedience to you, to lay aside the past, our sin and our immorality that we've carried around. Lord, I pray that you'd give us a very clear path to follow. May your will be done in us. Not our will, but your will be done. And we will give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to challenge you. I didn't open the altar this morning, but I do want to challenge you. Maybe today you feel like, man, I really I want to be different this year. I want to live for God more than I ever have before. I want to experience him like I never have before. One of the best ways to do that is to establish some form of accountability. And one way you can do that is simply come to me today. I'm not going to beat you over the head or anything like that. I'm not going to call you out in front of everybody else usually. Um, But what I will do is, number one, is I will pray for you. And I will walk alongside you and I will encourage you and help you to be able to walk that path. I would love to be able to do that. I hope that 2017 is your best year. More than that, I hope that you experience God more than you ever have before. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace. We'll see you guys next week. Unless you're sticking around for the next service.